Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Cam Pittman, alongside the founder of Brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, for today's episode that is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me this week, uh, join me next week, sorry, to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Probably fortunate we're not doing a live Locker Room podcast right now, Frank, because uh, I imagine uh, the chat room and perhaps the, the live callers would be a little bit frustrated and that might be putting it lightly. The Bucks go down 114 to 108 in, uh, I don't want to be caught up in the moment right now, Frank, but arguably one of the most frustrating Bucks losses I can remember seeing. We're going to break it all down. We can go through the, the Bucks side of things, the players. We can also talk about Kevin Durant and the historic performance that he had for Brooklyn. But I'm going to keep things on track here today or at least try to. And I want to start with Bud. It's no surprise. The Twitter is lit up at the moment with comments about Bud and the way that he coached this game. We've spoke about what's on the line for him as a coach. I've been watching him and listen, we know he always, he pulls some funny faces. He looks a little bit stressed at times, but the anxiety on this man's face throughout this series has been next level. I think he understands what's on the line. He understands what went down tonight and what it potentially could mean for him. How did you assess Bud's performance tonight? Because the Bucks led this game by double digits for the most of the first half. The offense, again, has been a talking point right throughout this series. Went by the wayside in the second half. The Bucs weren't able to hold off Kevin Durant. There were some interesting rotations down the stretch. Where do you want to start with Bud? I think this, again, as always, is going to be the talking point here after a, a brutal loss, a brutal loss in Game 5. Yeah, I, I mean, it's... You know, we we talked about it at the end of last the last episode that that we did together. That I don't, you know, I hesitate to call this like a must win because it's not literally a must win. But if you're going to win this series, this was the game to win. You have to win a game on the road, and losing tonight and then putting yourself in the spot where you need to win two straight games, including a game seven on the road. Just, I mean, I just don't believe in this team to be able to do that. You know, just watching them their performances on the road this series, regardless of who played or had played from the, from the Brooklyn side. And, you know, unfortunately tonight, just another uh, game we've seen this in the last, you know, this playoffs in the last two as well, where they, um, you know, get out to big leads that they have in the third quarter, you know, they, they're carrying these big leads in the second halves. And we saw it and I think it was, was it game two or game three against Miami um, big second half lead and they completely wilt in the fourth quarter. We saw it, um, you know, game six of the Toronto series, uh, late in the third quarter up big and, and then just kind of collapse. And I mean, interestingly, I, you know, I, I give them some credit because they actually battled really to the last minute of this game, even with KD, um, you know, bringing the nets basically to, to parody early in the fourth quarter. Um, so, you know, they, to some extent they went blow for blow and didn't, didn't completely fold up shop. But, um, 
you know, I think defensively in particular, like I just had to kind of pinch myself looking at the guys on the floor late in the game. Um, eventually put Tucker back in with, I think a little over a minute left, but I mean, Brooke Lopez had nobody to guard for most of that fourth quarter. You know, he's out there um, vaguely guarding Jeff Green, trying to, um, you know, not get too far off Jeff Green, who literally just had the greatest, he's having the greatest shooting performance of his career. And obviously they're trying to put Brooke into actions with Kevin Durant, who I thought did a great job. Well, pretty much everything, but, um, but was not just settling for mid-range jumpers, which I think you can live with. You know, I mean, if he wants to shoot mid-range jumpers over Brooke, you know, I mean, it's better that than uh, shooting threes that he can get off whenever and better that than getting to the rim and dunking or getting fouled. Um, but he also went at, you know, Brooke to the rim a number of times tonight, drawing fouls, getting in ones. Um, and I thought that was part of what was so impressive. And, um, you know, look, I don't think there was much that you could really do with KD tonight. Like, people acting like Giannis could make a difference. I think somebody asked Giannis in the post game and he said he'd be up for that challenge or whatever. Giannis can't guard KD when he's playing. I mean, nobody can guard him when he's playing like this. Giannis is going to get yanked um, <laughs> left in his wake. If he tries to defend KD, you know, 30 feet from the basket. Um, but the fact that you've got Brooke out there and making himself an obvious target and you can't just straight up switch things because of that. And you've got PJ Tucker sitting on the bench and yeah, he's got five fouls. Okay. Yeah. Well, the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, right? Like the whole thesis on PJ Tucker, when you traded for him, I mean, we, we must've talked about this on the first episode. PJ Tucker is a guy you can put on Kevin Durant and you can play small ball five with him and Giannis. And, you know, when you need to switch everything and you can't just play zone drop coverage, you know, that gives you an optionality to do that. And, you know, Pat Connaughton has fought gamely the last two games, gave them some, some good minutes tonight, I would say, but, you know, seeing Pat and Brooke on the floor with PJ on the bench to me is just like, why'd you make that move in the first place? You know, and, and give credit to Brooke. Brooke actually made some shots tonight, hit some threes, fine and good, but you're not, you know, they haven't tried to take advantage of, of Brooke's size really all series. They're not, it's not like they're trying to use it, his size against smaller guys, you know, in the fourth quarter. And I get it. PJ is obviously, you know, tonight, zero points, 0 of three. It was more of the typical kind of PJ being a negative, a bit, an obvious negative offensively. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's just like, you know, you're, you're not, I just didn't feel like Bud was giving them their best chance of winning. And, um, you know, just watching offensively, the, the fact that they seemed to be hunting Kevin Durant when James Harden was on the floor at times was just, bizarre like the 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 way the players were they'd have james harden 1v1 a guy who like literally is having a hard time running and they'd be coming up to set screens so that other guys so they so they could get switches it's like look i get it Harden's savvy you know he's strong in the post yada yada but the guys can barely run around right now um he's probably deathly afraid of having to really strain himself and, and retweak that hamstring and Drew Holiday, Giannis, Chris, it didn't seem like anybody really seemed to process the fact that they could try to take advantage of that. And, and again, the Bucs have, have never been a team, other than like Middleton shooting over guys in the post, never been a team that really was good at hunting mismatches. I think there's a, you know, a player problem there, but there's also a coaching problem there. And you know, at the end of the day, um, look, 
if you told me Kevin Durant was going to put up one of the greatest playoff performances of all time, I'd say, all right, I guess the Bucks are losing because <laughs> you know it's like, what are you going to do with when he when he plays the way he did tonight? But um, you know, the flip side was this, James Harden one out of ten, five points. You know, um, I, I, this game was still right there for the taking, and the fact that the Bucks once again could not take advantage of it. Um, you know, they're they're getting clowned, and maybe some of it at times is kind of like there's there's such a there's such a focus, like anytime, like anybody takes an ISO shot now that doesn't go in, it seems like people are jumping to say that the Bucks' offense is, you know, the, the worst in the history of mankind. I think some of that maybe is a little exaggerated. I mean, at the end of the day tonight, they had a 113 offensive rating, which I think is probably their best of their the series, but they had a 119 defensive rating and just, again, just couldn't stop Durant and Jeff Green and Blake Griffin just, you know, couldn't miss threes. So, um, I, I don't know. I mean, again, I think this is a team that, you know, we've talked about it privately as well. If you don't get to where you need to be, you can blame a lot of that on the players. Sure. But you know, the lever to pull to me, the obvious one will always be coaching. And you just wonder, I mean, even aside from those tactical decisions and the fact that they just don't seem to have really a game plan to attack Brooklyn offensively in particular, you know, you just can't help but wonder, like, maybe these guys just look like they need a new voice, right? Um, and, you know, Holiday had his best game of the series offensively, but still not great. Looked bad in the fourth quarter offensively. Giannis was good. Chris didn't shoot great, but, you know, was good enough. Um, but unfortunately, at the end of the day, it just, you know, this this was a, a big wasted opportunity. And they're not dead, but, you know, again, just like everything this series, nothing, they just can't make anything easy on themselves. And, you know, furthering away a, a huge second half lead. Um, it just feels like a story that writes itself, you know, from the, the annals of nev- never trust the Bucks history, unfortunately. Frank, this episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download. And once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I'll be hosting another Locker Room podcast next week. Uh, let's hope that the Bucks are still around. Remember, Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. All you have to do is go and download the free Locker Room app right now. Currently available on all iOS devices and Android, I believe. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. Follow me at Kane Pittman to be notified when my room goes live. I know you're not going to want to miss it. Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Today on Road to the Finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. I think you covered most of it or most of how I'm feeling from a a bud perspective. Just a couple of points. And I'll say this. I mean, I kind of mentioned this on the podcast yesterday. I said, if you're a Bucs fan that is heavily in the camp of fire bud, you probably a little bit concerned that the Bucs are going to win this series <laughs> through uh, the injuries that the Nets have. And that is that what, what triggers uh, Bud staying around in Milwaukee? But I'm probably at the point, and look, there's two games this series can change, but I'm probably at the point that even if they get through this series, I think we've probably seen enough from this series from a coaching perspective to understand that, it, like you said, I think it's probably time to move on. I, I just don't think that we've seen enough uh, on both ends of the floor, honestly, whether it is rotations, whether it's what they're running on offense. But I want to talk about the players a little bit as well here because these two things go hand in hand. And 
lot of these players that are on the roster we've seen be involved in those playoff games that you mentioned earlier, whether it was against Toronto, whether it was against Miami last year. And there has been a theme. And I don't think that this team has handled the pressure very well when Brooklyn has, has been putting it on them. And I'm not, I'm not saying they're front runners exactly. I don't think that's fair because we've spoke about the fact that game three was tight down the stretch. They pulled it out. They pulled out a, a tight game against Miami in, in the first round and they pulled out a couple of close games against Brooklyn late in the regular season. And I don't think it was necessarily straight up isolation all the time offensively. But what it felt like to me is that they would try and run something and the second it broke down, then there was no other movement. It's like, okay, well, we tried. We, we tried to run something. Now, what else are we supposed to do? We, we, can't, we can't do anything else. And then it became four guys standing around. I thought in the fourth quarter in particular, Drew Holiday and Giannis made some terrible decisions. You already mentioned trying to, to target James Harden, and the Drew Holiday stuff was really confusing to me. This was a guy that started this game well, knocked down a couple of threes. He was looking in control. He was getting to his spots. And in the fourth quarter, it seemed like the plan was to get the ball to Drew and let him try and break down James Harden. But instead of breaking down James Harden, he just shot step-back jump shots. Now, we've seen him knock them down throughout the course of the season. There's no doubt about that. But when you are trying to stem the tide of a historic playoff performance down the other end, sometimes you have to pass the ball a couple of times and get, some, get something going. And you can't just keep settling for step-back jump shots against a guy that can barely move. And I, I, I kind of agree with you that I was surprised and found myself shocked that the Bucks somehow found themselves in with a chance. And we haven't brought up the fumble from Giannis yet, but that would have been an open dunk that would have tied the score in the last 30 seconds, I believe it was. So well, in the last 15 seconds, even, I think it was. So the Bucks were still right there and they had chances and it's remarkable that they were there because they continued to waste possessions. The, the Giannis turnaround jump shot when he had James Harden posting up was one of them. Yeah, and total to be, subtle. And, and to be honest, I felt like I knew that that was coming. We've spoke about this before. You mentioned a tweet. I can't remember who tweeted it out that Giannis felt like he was trying to prove something. But any time that James Harden was defending Giannis, I straight away in my head thought a bad shot's coming here. Because... It's it's like Giannis wants to prove something to James Harden. We've seen him do this before where it feels like he, he is trying to prove a point. He's trying to show that he can score on James Harden or that he can shoot jump shots like Kevin Durant, and he can't. And and that possession right there, I think, typified what we've seen too much from this Bucks offense through this series. Yes, I think that a significant portion of the blame goes in the coaching, but at some point you have to question the decision-making of the players as well. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, they they are outscored in the fourth quarter, thirty three to twenty one. So bad offense and the, the look the defense. I mean, again, like I'm sure the like morning, uh, you know, talk radio slash uh, you know Can morning just- ESPN shows are going to be like, oh, you got to double Durant in that situation. It's like you can, but I mean, there's a reason that NBA teams don't double guys typically. It's because if you have NBA basketball players on the floor <laughs> and you create, you know, an imbalanced floor like that, you're going to get nailed, you know, mo- mo- most, most of the time. And, you know, Brooklyn hit 16 out of 43 triples. It's, it's not like they were like laying bricks tonight and you could have just dared them. Right. I mean, maybe, maybe daring Harden to shoot an open three would have been a good idea. Cause he just didn't have any shooting rhythm, but, um, but you know, again, and, and there were a couple of times where it seemed like the bucks tried to trap a little bit, but you know, they just could not figure out how to slow him down. And, I mean, he had 10 assists. He had some great 
feeds for layups when the Bucks did try to show extra bodies. So anything the Bucks did really just didn't matter. And, you know, probably nothing was more typifying of that than that bailout, you know, extremely difficult three he hit over Chris uh, Middleton yeah. with whatever where it was, like basically the shot clock buzzer. I forget how, how much time was left in the game. I think it was under two minutes at that point. But, you know, that was just sort of like, all right, you know, this isn't happening. <laughs> that, that, this game ain't, ain't – this isn't going to go your way, Bucks, um, when you hit that shot. So, um, you know, and, and he's 12 out of 14 on, on twos, just absolutely lethal. As you said, got to the basket more um, and, and just really was in attack mode, which – you know, he's, he's been settling for, for mid-range jumpers over trying to get to the rim pretty much all series. So for him to be a little more aggressive and get to the cup more regularly, I mean, you know, he, he made, I mean, his shot chart's hilarious. He had mid-range jumpers from everywhere, but then he also was three out of four at the rim. And, um, you know, when he had PJ Tucker on him, thought he did a nice job getting kind of into the post. So he didn't have to kind of fight over screens and, and fight quite as hard to get the ball. Um, and obviously down the stretch, we saw them just going high pick and roll repeatedly um, with, uh, you know, with, with Brooke trying to back pedal. And, you know, even when Brooke got decent contests, it didn't matter tonight. And that's just, you know, part of that's just Kevin Durant being, you know, arguably the greatest pure scorer that certainly we have right now, but, but possibly this, this league has ever seen just in terms of overall skill set. I mean, the guys just can just be incredible. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you can look at it. You know that hey, the Nets needed the greatest Kevin Durant performance in history to to barely beat the Bucks. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, Bucks, you were up 17 points in the third quarter on the road, and you had actually pretty productive nights from your three best players. Um, you had you know some role player uh, contributions from well, it was really pretty much only <laughs> only Connaughton and Lopez, but you got something from those guys. And even with that, uh, you know, the Nets at the end of the day found a way to win with, with a lot of Durant and then, uh, you know, Green and, and Blake in particular just really killing you from three. I mean, Joe Harris was one out of seven again tonight from three, two out of 11 overall. Breaking backboards on some of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he looked tight. Landry Shamit was better. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, um, I don't know. I mean, I, we've talked about this. I mean, I, I've sort of even after the Miami series, like, I mean, I'm, I'm always hopeful with the bucks and that's why I keep doing this and keep have, have spent so much time writing, thinking, talking about them over the years. But, um, I don't know. I've always sort of struggled, struggled all season just to sort of see them really having what it takes. And yeah, it, I mean, we've sort of seen it this series. It's just, it just feels like there's always something that keeps them from, ultimately playing, you know, at, at the highest level, even, even obviously winning the last two games before this, um, the rock fight win in game three and then game four, even, you know, it didn't feel like as convincing a performance as, as really it, it probably should have been just given some of the circumstances and how well you played defensively. So, um, you know, I mean, the series is not over. Um, there's some things you can take away from this. You still have, you know, unless James Harden, uh, hamstring dramatically improves the next couple of days. You still have a talent advantage, I think, you know, which I hesitate to say when Kevin Durant plays like this, but he's probably not going to score 50 next game. You know, 
I'm looking up the sky, waiting, <laughs> waiting to be struck by lightning. Jeez, um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Uh, you wouldn't tempt the fate like that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm willing to say that he, he might not, because uh, you know. Well, think of it this way: it's got to be the the way the Bucks lose this year. Shouldn't it be the most agonizing way possible? Right. So, so the Bucks need to win Game Six, right, so that it can be more agonizing, and we have a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more hope. Going into game seven. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would even watch game seven. I remember game seven <laughs> in that Celtic series, and the whole day was just complete misery. I, I turned the game on and I said, I don't even know why I'm doing this. This is just this is a complete waste of my time. I would be better off leaving the house, doing something, going to a to a, a bar where there's there's no TVs or something like that, and just enjoying my night. So I, if the Bucks win Game Six, which I think is is a big chance, I mean, for all the the negatives we're going to talk about tonight, they were right in this game. And I actually feel that when you look at it and you look at Kevin Durant, by the way, I, if you mentioned this already. I'm sorry, but 48 minutes, he didn't come to the bench once for the entire game, Kevin Durant, which is just absolutely insane. James and he never, Harden, looked, he never looked tired. He never looked tired. No, no. And, and James Harden played over 45 minutes himself, which is another absurd number. But when you were talking defensively, look, I think that the reason why you thought that the Bucs were in the box seat, or let's be honest, the reason why they were in the box seat to win this series now was because even though Harden came back, we saw that he was extremely limited. It's hard for me to believe that in 48 hours' time, he's going to be much better. I, I just, that's not, I don't think how a hamstring is going to work. But you can't afford to give up 27 points to Jeff Green. And when you spoke defensively about how some people are saying, well, why don't you put Giannis on Durant? Again, I disagree with that. I saw a tweet from CJ McCollum and, and this this kind of bullshit that we've seen time and time again, particularly in these situations from a guy like that, tweeted something along the lines of first team all defense and he's not even on Kevin Durant. It's like we've seen him on Durant. Durant is, is a different beast. Giannis is not a good defender for him. That's why the whole series I've said Tucker... Middleton, Drew Holiday, then probably Giannis, honestly, is the fourth option I would go to on Durant. It's not to say that he can't do it on individual possessions, but we have seen Durant get to the basket way too easily. I, I think when Durant is shooting that way, you almost have to just say, look, we've got Tucker, we've got Middleton, we've got these guys that we think can at least do a respectable job one-on-one. You have to let them go one-on-one, which was the frustrating part for me watching the coverage with Jeff Green, whereas time and time again, that Brooke wasn't really impacting the play at all, but they just ran Jeff Green as a screener. He went to the three-point line and just continually knocked down open threes. And I think that that's something that they can do better. And and I had the countless people asking me about why Bobby Portis didn't play in this game. It's funny when you look at the box score that you had the starters all played huge minutes or, well, certainly, you know, Giannis, 42 Chris, 45, and, uh, and then Drew Holiday had the foul trouble where he played 23 out of 24 in the second half. Then you had 32 for Pat, then only 13 for Bryn, and that was really it. I mean, Bud basically went to a seven-man rotation. Uh, Elijah Bryant, who we didn't mention on the last pod, played two minutes, and then for the two minutes that he was out there on the floor, it seemed that he was fully understanding that no matter what he did, he was never going to get the ball passed to him out on the floor, uh, which, which made a little bit of sense, but that was just to cover some foul trouble there. But with Bobby Portis, it is interesting because he has actually been pretty impactful defensively in the minutes, I feel like, and... We've seen him have an ability to just defend that pick and roll a little bit higher. And we've seen Brooke do that as well. The adjustment has been made. He hasn't been as deep as he's been at times we've seen over the tenure of Mike Budenholzer. I was at least a little bit surprised that Bobby didn't go out there. Now, I didn't jump in the postgame. I don't know if there was injury. There was certainly no report of that. 
but it was kind of interesting that Bud went away from him when he's, he's been okay. I haven't had an issue with Bobby Portis this series. I know you play your best players uh, as much as possible, but he has shown at least an ability to get up there. Again, I don't think it would have changed the outcome, but if Durant's getting 50, you kind of have to tip your hat. You can't afford to let the shooters or the role players shoot open threes and the box score. Blake Griffin was three for six as well. So Green and Griffin, 10 for 14 combined. It's built by time, Frank, and some bad news. Our listener who was running, a, I believe, a 6-0 and record with having a pregame built bar is now 6-1. and one. That went out the window. But it doesn't change the fact that it's still the best-tasting protein bar that's ever been made with nine delicious flavors. You can find anything you want with Built Bar. They're all covered in 100% chocolate and they're healthy for you as well. 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, only 4 grams of net carbs. Uh, You'll be able to get whatever you need there. And whether it's pre-workout, after-workout, pre-game, after-game, maybe it'll help you feel a little bit better after this tough loss. Built Bar is the answer for you. Just go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. But once you opened up your Built Bar, then jump across to BetOnline.ag, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline and get the latest news, odds, and info, not just with the MLB, but also with the NBA, NHL, and UFC, MMA, if you're into that kind of thing. So before the next pitch or shot or hit, Bet online, uh, jump on Bet online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Just use the promo code Locked On when you head to the website or use your mobile device. Sign up today and you'll receive a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Emotionally, I was prepared for totally insane performance from him, even though there's no reason to expect eight out of 11 for 27 points. Um, but, uh, I mean, they really didn't miss Kyrie, I guess. <laughs> it's Kyrie shot the way I mean, he did. 20 fucking seven, um, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, look, um, I don't think the Bucks lost because Bobby Porras didn't no, play. No. That, that said, it was interesting because TJ had foul trouble. He plays 33 minutes. Um, Giannis had some foul trouble as well. He played 42. Um, Drew plays 34 because of foul trouble. He only ends up with three fouls for the whole game. He picked them all up in the first half. Um, so I, I think, you know, I think it's certainly easy to look at some of those minute totals um, and, and wonder, you know, could you have given, for instance, Drew a longer leash um, to spare us from having to see, you know, any Elijah Bryant minutes or, you know, fewer Bryn Forbes minutes. Um, or fewer Connaughton. I mean, Connaughton was, was good. I mean, 10 points on seven shots, six rebounds. He knifed to the basket for a couple of buckets, had a block. Um, you know, I, I don't have big complaints about Connaughton, but again, he was out there being targeted um, in the fourth quarter by, you know, in these pick and rolls with, yeah. with Durant as well, right? And, you know, this is kind of the, the typical sort of Connaughton thing where it's like, you know, he's a solid defender, but of course, if Kevin Durant sees him out there, he's going to be able to attack him. Like Pat's not stopping, you know, or, or having much of a chance against KD. Um, so, you know, it's just, uh, it just, again, you can, you can obviously look at the minute distribution and kind of wonder, could, could it have been apportioned differently? Um, but uh, I, you know, and one thing I should mention too, we didn't talk about in the butt thing, but 
Giannis had that seven zero run, like seven zero individual run. I think, yeah. I think, I think it pushed the lead to like forty nine thirty three or something like that. Like midway through the second quarter, and he had two fouls, but then Giannis pulls him, or Bud pulls him, pulls him, and Giannis was. It looked like Giannis was just like WTF, like what? Um, and I think Giannis more or less just sort of like basically told him like you're putting me right back in. Cause like a minute later he was back in the game. Like he pretty much just like stayed at the, at the scorer's table. Um, but that was just another bizarre thing where it's just like, you know, read the room, bud. <laughs> like, you know, you're, you're, you're really beginning to kind of, you know, Giannis hits a three, then he hits a jumper, then he blows by Harden for a dunk. Maybe he I was mean, doing what Bucks Twitter wanted him to do, and he was benching Giannis for shooting a, a ridiculous three, even though it went down. Is that, is that, is that, is that, is that a possibility? <laughs> it was unbelievable timing, honestly. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, why? What, you know, like, what... Why? And, and look, yeah, I get it. He, he was trying to juggle because Tucker, Giannis, and, and Drew, uh, and maybe Brooke too. I don't know. The, a bunch of guys were like in that two to three foul range. So the game was sort of, you know, teetering a little bit there from a foul perspective. But um, some of the kind of offense for defense stuff, I mean, Thanasis got yo-yoed in and out. Um, we mentioned Elijah Bryant seeing some minutes. You know, he's minus five in three minutes. Um, you know, Forbes played 13. Um, which was the second highest total on the uh, on? I mean, you basically they basically had a seven man rotation tonight, right? The Nasas and Elijah Bryant played these four minutes total, but Connaughton and Forbes basically the only bench guys that played with Portis bench. So, yeah, I mean, I think you could have gotten Bobby minutes, especially with Giannis sit, sitting for a few minutes. Brooke plays thirty six, which is probably as much as she's probably going to play. And obviously, I've already made my argument for why it should have been fewer than that as much as he, he was actually, I mean, he was the only starter with a plus, plus, plus rating. So it's not like Brooke Lopez's minutes ultimately, you know, was the, the, the 48 minute story of how they lost. But in that fourth quarter, it just, it just felt like putting Brooke out there. One of two things were going to happen. Jeff Green is going to get an open three because Brooke's going to drop and they're not going to be able to recover out on Jeff Green. Or KD's going to go at Brooke uh, in a pick and roll, and he's going to get a shot that on this night he's going to be able to probably hit more often than not, right? I mean, he was just lethal uh, inside the arc. So, yeah, it it just again it just felt like you know the worst, you know, Bud's sort of worst tendencies, um, you know, were kind of on full display there um, in terms of the rotations in the fourth quarter and. Um, you know, I, I think I think Jake Fisher tweeted something um, about you know there potentially being some some uh, talk of the Bucks' best players being open to a new voice potentially, which you know I don't know I don't I don't know how much of that <laughs> it's like post game texts from from I mean, agents or something like that. I mean, they're um, about to get a new voice, so let's not worry about it too much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think. Uh, um, Barring a, a come, I mean, a comeback in this. I mean, that, that's basically it. Obviously, if they lose this series, I, I think Bud is done. And you know, I think that obviously that there's been some some discussions, uh, some some rumors about who the Bucks might look at. You know, um, everyone from Mike D'Antoni, Rick Carlisle's name was mentioned. 
Or, what do you think, you know, Mike D'Antoni? I think I've brought this up before. What do you think he's thinking about watching this Bucks offense in this series? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> do you think he's sitting well, there just looking at Bud and thinking, listen, I appreciate you right now, but, oh, man, I could have a lot of fun with this team. Well, but, I mean, look at – I mean, D'Antoni's obviously a really sharp guy, very forward-thinking. Um, I mean, it's not like the, you know, the, the recipe from Brooklyn or – Houston is just transferable to what the Bucks do. So I think yeah, yeah, yeah. it would, it would, it would require him to, you know, go maybe more back to his sort of Phoenix sort of days of, of more creative offense. But, you know, even then he had Steve Nash, right? So um, let's just say D'Antoni has been lucky um, in his two places where he's had a lot of success. He's had, you know, point guards who were, you know, MVPs, literally they won MVPs for him, right. With, with Harden and Nash. He has an MVP that he would have if he came to Milwaukee, but it, you know, a very different type of player. So I, I don't know. It's an interesting question. Um, you know, Darvin Ham's been mentioned as a potential you know succession candidate from an internal perspective, um, which is interesting, right? Because you keep some of the infrastructure of kind of what Bud has built, but you basically just say, you know, Bud, you just at the end of the day, you just don't make good decisions. You don't make good in-game adjustments, and you hope that. Darvin Ham has different views and would bring a different perspective, right? Um, so, I don't know. It, I mean, we'll have all off-season to, to obviously debate that. And I think probably the question now is just, you know, how, how quickly do we get to that off-season? And, you know, again, there's, there's certainly a, a non-trivial chance that they can still win this series, assuming, you know, there isn't some dramatic change in, in the Nets' uh, injury report. And if Harden is, you know, still not not you know, anything resembling what we saw tonight then you obviously are, are are not afraid of him in the way that you know you'd normally be afraid of of James Harden but um yeah I, I don't know I'm just I'm I'm just really interested to see how they respond I'm interested to see how the players respond on Thursday I'm interested to see how um you know the coaches change things up to the extent that they do um I think it's going to be really interesting because, I mean, look, that, that's the real, the real shame of this, right, is the Bucks came out and the Nets looked tight and the Bucks really jumped on them. You know, we haven't really talked about the flow of this game, but, um, but I think that was a really disappointing part about this game is, like, they, they came out exactly the way you would want them to. You know, they lead 59-43 at, half, at halftime. And even the third quarter, Brooklyn really got rolling and scored 38 points. I mean, the Bucks still scored 28 in the third quarter. So 29-30-28. I mean, they were scoring – the offense was looking good. This was the first three quarters were by far the best offensive, you know, the best offense the Bucks have generated in this series. And yet, you know, um, fourth quarter comes and you score 21 points and, you know, just, just feels like you're, you're um, battling uphill uh, all the way down the stretch. And I mean, we, we probably need to talk a little before we sign off. I mean, you, you alluded to Giannis, and kind of, it's a really interesting game to evaluate for Giannis because I think it's sort of probably maybe more so than than any other game this series. I think it was um, sort of indicative of kind of like the good things about Giannis, but then also just some of those limitations um, because, you know, again, like if you told me you're going to get 34 points on 22 shots from Giannis. Um, I would say, oh, okay, good. You know, like he's, he keeps rolling, right? He hits two out of four threes, four out of seven from the foul line, you know, which is, I guess, good by his standards in this series. Um, but down the stretch, 
you know, as you said, the decision-making settling for a turnaround jump shot, which he has not made like all series against James Harden, um, gets fouled twice, splits both, both for, you know, both trips again, you know, if he makes three out of four or four out of four, the last minute is completely different. Right. Um, the game was that close. And then, you know, ultimately that, uh, you know, not being able to catch a, a, a really nice dump off pass from Chris Middleton, who took advantage of kind of a, a, a Nets defense that kind of got into disarray there uh, in the final 20 seconds. Um, got to catch the ball. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, just too bad. And again, you know, okay, sure. They, you know, if they, they were smart, they would have just fouled him, but Jeff Green looked like he was about to get dunked on if, if Giannis catches that ball. So, um, I mean, that's, that's the problem. I mean, Giannis is not KD. You cannot just run, run, run the offense entirely through him and, and just rinse and repeat your way to, uh, to victories in the playoffs. You know, he's just barring some growth that he has not so far been able to show. He's just, he's not that guy. And again, KD is probably the, the a very, a very unfair bar because literally, you know, he's like the archetype for guy, you know, in NBA history that, that you can just give the ball to and let him work. Um, but that's who you're up against in this series. <laughs> so, you know, if you, if you don't have somebody, if your best player can't, can't make, you know, more than half his free throws and can't catch a basketball in a crucial play down in the final 20 seconds, you know, you're just creating all sorts of, you're just making your life way more difficult, increasing your degree of difficulty. So um, I don't know. What, what, what did you think of Giannis's night? Well, I just think it's it's going to be a part of a bigger conversation that that goes down over the course of the off season with the changes that happen as well. Because the, the one thing that I I still struggle to come to terms with is this uh, Giannis's decision making and and choices that he's made along the way in terms of developing his game and trying to get better. Is it coaching? Is it the teammates that are around him? I just think it's such an all-encompassing problem that we're looking at because, as you said, if you look at the the box score tonight, and this is the thing that's a little bit of a shame with Giannis, we're going to look at this at the end of the series, no matter what the result is. You're going to look at his numbers, and they're going to be very, very impressive. I mean, he's he's probably going to end up putting, uh, going to uh, put up thirty points and sort of 12, 13 rebounds get you a couple of blocks per game as well. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary stuff, and his two-point percentage has been really, really high throughout this series. So for the most part, if you, gave, if you said those numbers were the numbers at the start of the series, you, you would have said, okay, we're going to be in this. We're going to have a shot. This is going to be a long series. But watching the games, you see that there's still big moments of frustration, whether it is the shot selection, whether it's the decisions that he's made uh, along the way. So it's, it's just really hard to to assess from the outside where the, I don't want to say blame because it seems a little bit harsh, but, but where you look at for where the improvement's going to come from. So I, I think it's going to be something that we're going to discuss right through the off season, whenever that comes, whether it's this series, next series, NBA finals, wherever it is, but the conversation is going to continue with the honest. As we wrap this up, I just want to say that Reggie Miller tweeted this, Frank. I'm not sure if you're aware. Oh of my it. God. I saw this and I just, my brain like broke when I saw this. So, so Reggie Miller. I'm all for this strategy. As a Bucks fan, too. I'm all for the strategy that Reggie Miller put out tonight. I've, but go ahead. I've never agreed with Reggie Miller more. It's incredible stuff from Reggie. TNT extraordinaire. He said, do you think Steve Nash should rest James Harden and Kevin Durant for game six 
and push all the chips into the table for game seven. <laughs> Fucking hell. But anyway, you can get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And as we wrap this up, Frank, emotions are high among Bucks fans for good reason. We've been here before. It's tiring. It's, it's sickening in many ways that we just know that this is the way that things go down in big games. But I know Bucks fans, and we're all, we've been through this. We know that in the space of 48 hours, we'll pick ourselves back up. The Fiserv Forum will be packed. The Deer District will be packed and going absolutely wild in a couple of nights' time. And then we're going to talk ourselves into a Game 7 win because that's what we do best. We set ourselves up for misery. But I look forward to watching this Game 6 and hopefully a Bucks win. 